Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. And backing the blue. Now, here are your hosts, Captain Ed Mamet and Detective Kevin Schroeder. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cop Talk. My name is Kevin Schroeder, retired NYPD detective. I'm here with my co-host, Captain Ed Mamet. Say hello, Ed. Hello, WABC listeners. I'm glad to be back for another session of Cop Talk with my host and our guest. Thank you for listening. So today, on the 22nd anniversary of 9-11... We have Daniel Weiss, who's a retired colonel of the state police, top aide to Governor Pataki, New York State Power Authority Inspector General, serves on the board of the Pataki Center. Daniel, welcome. Thanks. Appreciate that, Kevin. Thank you for being here today. Daniel, uh, you're, you're a lifelong New Yorker? Yes, I am. Born in Brooklyn and raised in New York. Long Island, pr- primarily as younger age. So you grew up in uh, Brooklyn or... Yeah, Brooklyn the first couple of years. My grandparents lived there. I spent my summers in Brooklyn and grew up in Long Island, Suffolk County. What's Suffolk County. Uh, East Swedish Hospital, uh, right off Flatbush, 10th between 3rd and 4th. Not far from me. That's Flatbush. Yeah, yeah exactly. Flatbush. Exactly, yes. So, Danny, Daniel, why don't you give us an uh, overview of your career? I came on the New York State Police in 1978 uh, after having previously been hired by NYPD, but then let go two weeks later when the mayor's changed office. And a few years later, the state police called me, and I went with them. Uh, I spent uh, my early years in Peekskill, New York, uh, went into undercover work uh, with two years on the job in the uh, auto theft division, came back to work in Peekskill for a, a legendary New York State trooper that unfortunately just passed away, uh, George Junkyard Johansson, and then took over the Brewster Barracks. In 1987, I took over the Brewster Barracks in Putnam County. And from there, uh, the computer kicked my name out for having a lot of experience with wiretaps. I had been in the gambling unit as well. They sent me down to run the uh, organized crime task force in Robert Morgenthal's office. And I came down and started looking at the tall buildings like, holy cow, where am I? <laughs> but uh, I got to work with very closely with Roz Moskoff, uh, Elliot Spitzer, Morgenthal himself. That was probably the best district attorney's office in America ever. The people that were there were just incredible. And it's a shame what the DA's office has turned into today. It's just a whole different world. And I can't imagine Robert Morgenthal even having to look at what's going on today. It really is. But from there, in 1994, George uh, Pataki got uh, elected. I was asked to come in and straighten out a misunderstanding between the state police and uh, uh, his campaign, because they thought uh, uh, the troopers had roughed up some donors and turned out it wasn't wasn't the real thing. Uh, don't want to talk bad about Bo Deedle, but it was his guys that roughed up these donors. I was able to prove that, and uh, they sent me in to see the governor. Uh, we, I was I lived in Garrison at the time, knew the governor well. I ran the youth center in uh, Garrison, knew his children well, and he said to me, "Can you guarantee me that the troopers didn't do it?" I said, "Yes, I can." Uh, the captain that was here last night, Tommy Weber, was my roommate in the academy. He got here after this happened. The troopers weren't even in the building. There was no contingency plan made 
by Mario Cuomo for Pataki to have a win. So they weren't even prepared. The private security in the hotel was run by Bo. Uh, we all know Bo. He's uh, quite a celebrity in his own way. But unfortunately, <laughs> it was his guys that did it, and it wasn't the troopers. So Pataki said to me, the governor said, listen, you're not leaving. You're staying here. I then got to introduce him a day or two later to uh, Robert Morgenthal, who he said was always his uh, idol. And I walked in. I introduced the two of them. I walked back out. Uh, the governor spent about an hour with him. Came back out. He had a long face on. I said, Boston, this not go well? He said, no. He said, but for the first 30 minutes, he only wanted to talk about you. So it was flattering, but uh, the governor and Morgenthal went on to have a, a great uh, relationship. And unfortunately, he passed away at age 99, several years back. A uh, great guy. Uh, I then took that over. <clears throat> Didn't get any help from Mario Cuomo. Uh, he wouldn't even let us into the governor's mansion. <laughs> to see what was going on. So I was a one-man band for a couple of days, started recruiting people to come on the detail to, uh, to help out. Pataki's security was a whole different flavor than Mario Cuomo's. Mario very rarely ever left the Capitol. Uh, he was there pretty much full-time. Pataki was just the opposite, always on the move, every part of the state. So that's what started this all, and I, I stayed with him for his first two terms. And uh, in 2003... I moved on to another position, and uh, uh, that's what brings us to, but I've stayed with the governor, and I'm currently on his board. Uh, he has a um, the Pataki uh, Foundation Center that does a lot of really good work, and most recently, this past year and a half, we've been in Ukraine working. Uh, we've been over there. I've been over there nine times. The governor's been there six times with us, doing everything from portable housing to medicine, clothing, uh, food. Uh, and then we even went into the NFL sponsored us to uh, NF the Ukraine has an NFL style football team. And uh, we actually got heavily involved in that. Right now, they're all sol soldiers, unfortunately, civilian soldiers mm -hmm. fighting, but a great bunch of guys. And uh, from there, we moved on to uh, uh, hooking up with a great group of former Delta Force people called Task Force Antel. I believe John Katsimatidis knows them pretty well. Right. Mark and Christine Antel uh, started in Afghanistan when uh, we had to get people out of there. They got a lot of people out of Afghanistan. They're an amazing group. Met them totally by accident in a hotel elevator. Uh, Christine was on the elevator with us, recognized the governor. And from there, we formed a partnership, and they've come with us to help with security uh, every time we've gone to Ukraine. And uh, it's been a, a great, great relationship, and we've expanded from there. Uh, in fact, they're getting an award tonight, a Freedom Award, from Governor Pataki for the work they've done. Last year, they got an award from the Veterans uh, Association of New York as the Veterans of the Year for 2022. Great group of people. Yeah. That's great. Daniel, let's go back 20 to, 22 years ago today. Mm -hmm. Where were you? Where were you when you found out that we were being attacked on 9-11? Well, we had... Uh, we were supposed to be in Ireland, and we had canceled that trip to Ireland. I, although, did have a trooper, George Vitale, was in Ireland uh, when things went wrong. He was on the flight back. I was home. One of my partners, uh, Gary Berwick, uh, called me and said to me, did you see the TV? And I said, I don't have TV on. He said, I'll be right there. He was at the governor's house down the block in Garrison. He rode up to my house. We turned the television on, watched the uh, second plane hit the tower. I uh, had no idea. I knew Governor Pataki was in the city. It was rare that I wasn't in the city with him, but we had been preparing for Ireland, so I was home doing a lot of that. We immediately uh, were told we couldn't use a helicopter to come get the governor because our protocol 
sends the governor to Albany to the, to the New York State Police bunker. Uh, I said to them, listen, the helicopter's blue and gold. It says New York State Police all over it. We need it. So they picked me up at the hospital in Westchester County. We flew down here. Governor and I had a very stern discussion as to whether or not we were going to go to Albany or not. And uh, we never disagreed on much. We disagreed that day until I saw the big picture. Uh, he did need to be here. We couldn't leave. Everything that was happening was happening here. Nothing was happening in Albany. And we immediately went to our office on uh, 633 3rd Avenue and started work from there and then obviously viewed the whole site that day, uh, later in the day, once we could get in into Ground Zero. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You were with him... For the aftermath, can you tell us about the days that follow? Yes. It was just surreal, really, uh, as we went down the east side expecting to see a lot of people in the hospitals. And there were no, there were no uh, victims in the hospitals. Just, they were pretty much empty. A lot of people that were covered in dust, but nobody that was in the buildings. Uh, we then continued down from there. The governor started mustering with uh, Mayor Giuliani immediately. Uh, we set up a command center at the police academy down on 22nd, 23rd, and started working from there for, for a couple of days. Brought in all the uh, state police sources we, we needed, uh, Jim Natoli, Randy Daniels, uh, John Cahill, all the big guns in the Pataki administration were there, working with Bernie Carrick and, uh, and the crew. Uh, every day we spent there. Every day was a new day. We didn't leave. I didn't go home the first night until just before Christmas. We, we got rooms and hotels. The PBA called me and, and asked to help because they were put in the troopers. We brought in between eight and 1,200 troopers, which is a third of our force. And they were in a hotel that was covered in mold and roaches and so forth. And we quickly took over a different hotel across from Madison Square Garden to get better housing for them. Uh, they weren't having to hot sheet the beds. They could get the proper facilities. And from there, we gave assistance to just about everybody. Uh, it, you know, every day was a new day, and uh, you know that was the beginning of, of everything we went through. A couple of days later, the president came in. I believe it was on the 14th, and that was uh, a day to remember to watch President Bush in action, 
uh, along with the retired fireman he brought up on the pile. Uh, that's where uh, John Katsimatidis, I know, likes, likes to hear this story of the bullhorn. The president spoke to the world uh, and held that bullhorn in his hand. Uh, when that ended, he passed that bullhorn to Governor George Pataki. Not for any reason, just had to step down and didn't want to have it in his hand. The governor handed it to me. I tried giving it to the Secret Service. That didn't work. I'm not supposed to carry stuff. They're really not supposed to carry stuff. That's a whole new level. And we quickly realized we can't put this thing down. We don't know who it belongs to or it's gonna, somebody's going to pick it up and take off with it. I handed it to one of my NYPD people. I believe it was Bobby Mistrodi at the time. And I said, do me a favor. Put this in the governor's vehicle. Secure it. So this doesn't get lost, we'll get it to the right people. From there, we went uh, with the president. The governor went in his vehicle. We followed up to the Jacob Javits Center, where the families were waiting to hear from the president about their loved ones. I immediately spoke with um, an old friend of mine from, um, from NYPD that was, at the time, the director there, Jerry McQueen. Great guy, big uh, NY, uh, New York uh, City PD homicide detective, and I worked with him at the Manhattan DA's office for many years. We got together, and I said, Jerry, what do you, what do you think we should do here? And he said, well, let's, let's make sure we make a record of this. So I called Jim McMahon. He was superintendent of state police at the time, and I said to him, boss, we have this bullhorn. I'm afraid it's going to get in the wrong hands. So he said, well, let's secure it, but let's make sure it's documented. So from there, I picked up the phone and called Roz Moskov, who was the state's attorney general at the time. I believe she's a federal judge now. And I said, listen, I want you to understand we have this, we're going to secure it, but we're not going to make it public until we can speak to the White House personnel. The following week, the president came back to have pizza with the firemen. Uh, Karen Hughes was with him. I knew Karen from when they, they were, he was governor of Texas. We had been there many times, and I said to her, Karen, we have the bullhorn. I thought she was going to collapse. She said, we thought it was gone forever. In fact, we told the press it was gone forever. She said, we didn't know who had it. I said, no, we've had it. It's been secured. Uh, it was secured in a, I, my go bag was dumped out. It's a leather Harley Davidson bag. That bullhorn stayed there. She said, do me a favor, secure it with your life. Don't let it out of your hands till we get back to you. Well, it was months later, I believe in January, when I got a call, I believe from Dana Perino. She was working in the White House as an assistant uh, PR person. And she said, we'd like you to come to the White House to give the bullhorn back to the president. I said, well, first, I think we should tell the governor we have it. She said, what do you mean, tell the governor you have it? I said, we kept this very quiet. We didn't want the thing getting lost, and it's very well documented. And she said, all right. I went over to the—I was in the command center in the mansion that day. I went over to the governor's office, went in to see him, and he said, we have the bullhorn? I said, yeah, boss, we have the bullhorn. His PR guy at the time, Mike McCune, was rather upset that he didn't know we had the bullhorn. I said, well, nobody knew. As you can see, the governor didn't know. But we didn't want this thing falling in the wrong hands, and that's how well it was secured. I was a nervous wreck. It was in the attic of my house in this Harley-Davidson bag. One of my members, uh, George Patterson, uh, a trooper, his house had burnt down during that period. And I'm thinking, when his house burnt down, my God, what, happened? what if that was this house? It'd be a piece of history gone forever. Fortunately, that didn't happen. In February, they asked us to come to the White House, which we did. I, I was in Florida at the time on a rare vacation with my, my children, came home, drove the bullhorn down to the White House. The governor was there, presented it to the uh, uniform Secret Service at the front gate. That was very interesting. They said, well, we have to dismantle it. 
Now, I had no idea who Dana was, but I dialed her phone number. I said, listen, I'm out at the front gate here. They want to take this thing apart, and I think your press conference is starting in about 10 minutes. Well, she came watching across that front lawn. She's a little bit of a thing. Mm -hmm. Came watching across the front lawn, screaming at everybody. We went in. It took place. It was a nice ceremony. The the, uh, fireman was there. can't think of his name off the top of my head, and he had his grandchildren with him. So he stood with the president and the governor, and it was it was quite a ceremony. It really was. But right away, the press didn't believe the bullhorn was original. So the governor and I had to go to the Rose Garden so I could explain to them that, listen, this is very well documented from the superintendent of state police, the inspector general, and it still has the president's fingerprints on it. That's, this thing's never been touched. So we were able to convince them that that's what it was. It's now made the rounds. It was in... Uh, the Ground Zero Museum on loan for a while. It's now back in President Bush's library, from what I understand. I've yet to have a chance to go to Texas. Someday I'd like to go down and and uh, see it down there. But uh, the, the speed that things moved in those days was just phenomenal, as you all know. Uh, there was so much going on at one time. It was it was pretty amazing. But I was lucky to to work with the best people imaginable. I, I bleed Trooper Gray, obviously, and I've got the utmost respect for NYPD and NYFD. Just amazing, amazing groups of people. They really are. Thank you. Yep. That was a hell of a story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Daniel, since 9-11, 22 years ago, there's been so many first responders, not only in NYPD and FDNY, but also, you know, throughout the country who responded that day, mm-hmm. came up to help us out. Um, and so many folks have passed away and been diagnosed with all different types of cancers related to 9-11. Can you talk about your health issues uh, that you dealt with from Ground Zero? Yes. Early on, we were told to sign up. There were two different groups to sign up with in the early going. Uh, I didn't pay much attention. I quickly signed up for whatever. Never heard a word back. I was suffering from the cough. Uh, I left the state police in 2003. When I went to my next job, they thought I had lung cancer because I was constantly coughing. Couldn't stop coughing. <clears throat> As things went on, obviously the cough got worse. I went for uh, CAT scan after CAT scan. In 2012, uh, my doctor uh, called me in and said, listen, your lungs have black spots. They've got oversized nodules, but that's not your big problem. Your big problem is you have a cancerous tumor in your right kidney. I immediately had that removed. Uh, didn't want to wait. I waited about four days before I got in a hold of the right people. In fact, in that instance, I called Elliot Spitzer, whose brother's a f- uh, physician, and I said, I'm confused. Where do I go for this surgery? And I got a call back about an hour later. He said, there's a doctor in Westchester County who has what's called the Da Vinci robot, and right now that is the most precise instrument in order to have this removed. So that's what I did. I went with a Dr. Lerner out of Westchester County, a urologist, amazing, amazing doctor. Uh, I've been certified with six different 9-11 issues from chronic bronchitis to restrictive airway disease, GERD, skin cancer, kidney cancer. I forget the name of the the six, but I've got six of them. I go religiously, as we all do. Uh, Mount Sinai does an amazing job. Uh, They've since opened uh, uh, in, I believe it's Rockland County, might be Orange County, Suffer in New York that they have a, a great facility up there where you don't have to wait all day to be taken care of. And they're great. They really are. Uh, I recently had to be put on uh, a chemo drug, methotrexate. <clears throat> uh, 
I have what's called rheumatoid arthritis as well. It's not yet been classified as a 9-11 causation, but a lot of the people feel it might be in the future. But the amount of prescription drugs that I take and everybody else takes is phenomenal. I take, uh, including supplements, about 11 pills in the morning and about nine at night, daily. Uh, Since the methotrexate started uh, about three months ago now, I only take that those on Tuesdays along with something called uh, uh, an an activated uh, to keep the medicine activating. You take eight pills on the one day and the following week you take eight. But you started at two and you had to build up to it. So, I mean, right now I'm still at six because if you take eight, I can feel my blood moving through my veins. But it kills the pain in my wrists, in my uh, hands, my feet, and it's, it's helpful, very helpful. But the problem that we have from what I what I understand is, uh, the Governor Cuomo changed the rules for New York State employees. And if I have this wrong, somebody please call in and tell me I'm wrong. But I don't think I am. Uh, we have the federal guidelines are it's presumptive evidence if you spent the minimum amount of time at Ground Zero, and you've been certified with these things through Mount Sinai, that it's presumptive evidence 9/11 caused it. Well, that's not the that's not the case for New York employees. We have to prove. It was caused by 9-11. Now, try and prove that. I mean, I just went, uh, <clears throat> my own situation, I was approved for workers' comp uh, about seven years ago by the, the head judge, workers' comp judge in Buffalo, New York. I testified before him, I believe, three times. Uh, he approved my uh, workers' comp. I get a letter about two months later telling me it was overturned by the board. Now, here's a board that's never interviewed me once, has no idea anything about me. Uh, never interviewed me, never talked to me, and they turned me down. Interesting. Now, <clears throat> I'm currently been turned down for the retirement system. Uh, they sent me about two years ago to a uh, urologist to determine, called an IME, independent medical exam. I had already had a pulmonology IME by the state doctors that deemed me 100% disabled uh, in Brooklyn, New York. So I figured I'm going to see another pulmonologist. No, they sent me to a urologist who said to me, you're not disabled because of your kidney. I said, I never said I was. But he says, well, there's nothing I can do but turn you down. So the law firm, Alex Dell Law Firm in Albany, that's representing me and hundreds of other New York State employees, is fighting it. Now, that's been going on for years. Uh, I just went this past Thursday to another IME, this time to a pulmonologist. And I figured, thank God, I'm finally going to be talking to a doctor that can understand that I use Trelegy every every day. I carry a rescue inhaler, and I take Montalusk at night. So I'm on three different breathing medications. And I went to see this doctor, and he said to me, first he put me through a, a test that was bizarre. Uh, had me, I've taken tons of these breathing tests. But they put me through one for about 15 minutes that had me almost exhausted from coughing and spitting up phlegm. And then they decided to give me uh, a steroid inhaler. But they gave it to me four times. I mean, I used to be on the same one, albuterol. Got off it because it gave me a cataract, steroid cataract in my left eye that I had to have operated on. So I had them change me off of the steroid. I didn't want to be on it anymore. That was a number of years ago. So I said to the girl, I said, I've never taken more than one puff of this. She goes, no, it's going to be fine. Well, suddenly I have shakes in my, my shoulder, both shoulders, down to my fingertips. 
And I said to her, I had to stop the test, and I said, something's wrong. She goes, oh, no, no, is it tingling? I said, well, it's a little more than tingling. It's actually rattling in my shoulders. And I had to take this nose clip off because I couldn't breathe at all, and I'm coughing up more phlegm. And she goes, no, 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 that's fine. So she kept, and I had my wife in the, in the exam, uh, just, you know, as a witness, and she carries my inhaler usually in her pocketbook. So the nurse said to me, no, no, he'll be fine. Let's just continue. And then she kept saying, well, let's throw this test out. Let's try it again. Let's throw that test out. Very confusing. So I finished it in about 30 minutes total. Go out in the hall, and then I go in to see the doctor. I won't mention his name, <clears throat> but he's a Mount Sinai doctor, a pulmonologist. And he says to me, didn't I see you once before? I said, yes, doc, you did about five years ago. So he said, well, let me check. Punches in his computer. He goes, yeah, I, I found you disabled, is what I believe he said. He found me disabled. So he looks at his paperwork, and he says, uh, you know, you have nodules in your lungs. I say, I'm well aware of it. He goes, but they weren't caused by 9-11. That's very interesting. There's a whole parade of doctors that say they were. And then he said to me, he says, and my paperwork here says, you didn't start coughing in 2012, until 2012. I said, Doc, I brought along every piece of document you might need that you should have, because the state has all this. He goes, no, I'm not allowed to look at that. I said, okay, I understand. You think I'm going to give you something they don't have? Well, they have all of this. So I said, you need to do me a favor and call whoever you're working for here. Because I assume it's the state of New York. He gave me some acronym that wasn't the state of New York. I guess they, he works for Mount Sinai, and he works for somebody else. But that was very confusing. So I left there a little confused, called the law firm and said, do you want to get in front of this, or do we just wait? I said, I'm, I'm confused here. So I said, no, it's best that we just wait. So they may not be happy that we're talking about this. This just came up last night, but let's face it. It's fine. I had a lot of people that worked for me at Ground Zero, hundreds of them. We've lost many of them. I've even done a eulogy for one of my men up in Buffalo, Scott Anser, who died two years ago and age 55. He worked with us at Ground Zero. Uh, it's not just because of me. It's because of the people out there listening to us, you guys yourselves that have gone through this. These guys should not be getting tortured to go through this system. That'll last years and years and years, sometimes five, ten plus years. It just makes no sense. Now, Governor Hochul, during her, her campaign, put out a statement that she was going to straighten out three things that Andrew Cuomo did wrong. And I quickly called up uh, New York State Police Superintendent uh, Steve Negrelli, who's a friend of mine and worked for me out of Buffalo years ago. And I said to him, can you check this to see if this is true? He called me back. He goes, Dan, it is true. She's apparently going to look into this. Well, let me tell you, that was well over a year ago that our campaign was going on. Nothing's ever been done. The guys are still having these problems. My boss, Jim McMahon, he was finally approved. He has pancreatic cancer. He just turned 80. Uh, he had the Whipple surgery at uh, Sloan Kettering a number of years ago. I bumped into him there, Valentine's Day 2018. He was 119 pounds at six foot seven. The Whipple surgery has done him well, but he's still suffering. I don't think he's any more than 130 pounds today. They sent him to a pulmonologist a year ago to determine his pancreatic cancer. Now, you tell me, is this a bait and switch that's going on? Why would you send me to a, to a urologist for my lung issue and him to a pulmonologist for his pancreatic issue? Well, I give that doctor credit. That doctor said, I've had enough. He wrote him up. He says, this is not my opinion. I can't opine on, on your lungs, on your pancreatic cancer, but I can opine that this shouldn't be happening. He was approved. I just spoke to him the other day. It's almost a year. The paperwork has not been processed for him yet, a year later. I mean, 
it, it's just crazy. But the people that worked for us, whether they were troopers or civilians, we had uh, a civilian uh, mechanic that died not from 9-11 causes because we sent our cars home to have the filters changed. That poor guy was breathing that stuff. You know, it's, it's affected so many people. And there's so many people out there that hopefully your podcast can reach a lot of these people that are suffering and let them understand the government has to do something to get this back on track. They shouldn't have to go through this. Nobody this, should. This approval you're talking about, like, uh, I've been approved. Kevin, you've been approved. So why uh, is it only the New York State police? New York State employees. But yes. not the city, people no. in the city. NYPD, no. NF, New York Fire Department, DEA, FBI, they follow under the federal guidelines. We're not being treated under these federal no. guidelines where it's presumptive evidence. We have to prove it was causation, which well, that, doesn't make ridiculous. much sense. That's it is ridiculous. ridiculous. It is. Yeah. It, it makes no I sense. I didn't know that. That's, that's very really interesting. It, exactly. Now, I could be wrong in a little bit of this, but I'm living it. So I know what's going on. I know what's going on. It's just sad. It really is sad that these guys have to die in order for them to be recognized. And they die while they're waiting for this, th- this stuff to be processed. It's just sad. It really is. Well, like I said I lost two of my own guys. Rod Covington, who's a retired major, and Scott Enser, who's a retired investigator from my own team. You mentioned some people before who I know well. Jerry McQueenie, I knew quite oh, well. I worked with him. Amazing individual, yeah. Jerry McQueenie. He worked with me at the Manhattan DA's office for Robert Morgenthau. Uh, the, the team that Mr. Morgenthau had put together, we all called him the boss, was phenomenal. Yeah, phenomenal. And the interesting fact about Jerry is, is he, uh, he was able to uh, use sign language. His parents were deaf, mm-hmm. and he was one of the few qualified in the police department to use sign language. We, a funny story about him, I don't want to go sidetrack here, but we're coming down the West Side Highway during the governor-elect period between Cuomo stepping down and Pataki taking over. Uh, the governor says we got to get this Jacob Javits Center straightened out. Now, I put the bug in the Jacob Javits Center. It was a state facility, and my team had to put the bug in there. John Papaleo from the DA's office, Lucas Katz, we all got together. We had to break into our own facility in the middle of the night because it was run by the mob back in those days. And the governor said, that's got to be taken care of. So we have in the car with us at the time Zenia Muka, who I didn't know very well at the time. She was his PR person. She said, Governor, I have the perfect person for you. So I said, wait a minute. I did the investigation on the Jacob Javits Center. I've got the perfect person for you. So she goes, my guy, Jerry McQueen. I'm like, wait a minute. That's my guy. We were talking about the same guy. We put Jerry McQueen in to run the Jacob Javits Center. And let me tell you, that gets straightened out in a heartbeat. Yeah, he did a good job. An amazing man. Amazing He, he was guy. a good homicide detective. Oh, he really was. Dan, is America better prepared today to prevent another 9-11 or not? Sadly, no. We're not. I, I just listened to the show earlier today when uh, Ray Kelly was on. Now, there was a man, obviously, that had a vision and did a great job. But unfortunately, we have a different mayor. We've got different police commissioners. I'm not talking bad about police commissioners. I don't. I, Keyson, I knew well from Nassau County. She's an amazing individual. The new one, I didn't. Today's the first time I saw him on television. I didn't even know who he was. But uh, we are not prepared. Uh, it's sad that we're not as prepared as we should be. But the task forces just don't seem to be there. I don't know if we're covering as many foreign countries as we were when Ray Kelly was there. I believe de Blasio abolished a lot of what had what happened there. And that's not good for us. It's just not. Well, the manpower, too. We're short oh. uh, personnel. Without a doubt. And the open borders. We don't know who's coming in. We have no clue who's coming in. That's, that's the scariest thing. We really don't. The Pataki Center. Mm-hmm. You're involved with that. Could you tell us about that? 
Yes. I was asked to come on board a few years ago. Uh, currently, the chairman is Rob Cole. Uh, we sometimes talk about him as being my uh, stepson or I'm his stepfather, so to speak. I hired Rob in the early days when he left the Olympics. He was an Olympic athlete uh, in the race walking uh, competition. Came, came there, and I was told by a secretary of the governors, he's obnoxious, don't hire him. <laughs> I interviewed him, made my own decision, and we brought him on. He, uh, amazing guy. He was tutored by the best. Uh, Arthur Finkelstein was one of the best political minds. Got uh, Reagan elected, got D'Amato elected, got Pataki elected, got Netanyahu elected. Arthur was amazing. And Rob was sort of taken under his wing. We've done some really good stuff. Uh, we've, we've gotten involved in a lot of different projects. And now most recently in the last 18 months is Ukraine. It's uh, uh, amazing what what we've been able to do over there with this small foundation, but we've accomplished quite a bit. And the people there tell us they're not getting what our government claims they've been sending there. That's unfortunate, but we're not seeing it there. Can tell us more about Ukraine. Yeah, we started, we first went in uh, March of uh, 22. Uh, it was about six weeks into the war. And uh, in fact, my wife came with us. Uh, my blood pressure was so erratic back then, I was trying to get it under under control, and she decided she was coming with us to help with logistics. Uh, we flew over blindly, uh, and former ambassador uh, to Finland, Earl Mack, uh, came with us. Uh, we crossed over the border uh, with uh, virtually nothing, and we headed into Ukraine to check on hospitals and some shelters. And we got, I mean, the lines coming out of there were we backed up miles, three, four, five miles of people standing in wintertime in March, leaving leaving Ukraine. Uh, we came back in April, uh, gathered some more money. We started building portable homes, uh, putting together a small village, uh, medicine, that kind of thing, raising money back here and bringing, bringing stuff in through Hungary. The governor's obviously uh, Hungarian descent, and they have common borders with Ukraine. And that's when we met task force intel uh totally by accident uh in an elevator i saw the woman looking at governor pataki and i rarely say anything but when we stepped out of the elevator i said to her did you just recognize him she said yes my father and him played on the same basketball team for dewey ballantyne and obviously the governor's head snapped around i said who's your dad and jerry quinn and we started talking they were there having left afghanistan and then come in to uh remove Americans and Ukrainians from Ukraine. Uh, they had a private contract, and uh, they've done some amazing, amazing work. Uh, in fact, I'm not allowed to talk about most of what they've done, because when I visit them down here in Sky, Sky Town, where they live, uh, I've had to go into a different room because the White House is on the phone with them. I mean, it's, it's amazing, uh, the levels of government that they're involved with and what they've been able to accomplish. They're even involved in Sudan, uh, helping people out there. And it's just a husband and wife. Mark is a former uh, Delta Force member. Uh, Christine was the uh, JAG commander in Ukraine for six odd years and knows Ukraine very, very well. And uh, they have three children, young girls, twin 11-year-olds and a 10-year-old that attend charter schools here in uh, New York City, which is... When you, when you first started uh, the operation in Ukraine, do you recall we were trying to collect vests? Oh, yes. The... Uh, Retired police vests. Yes, 
And yes. We, and we got a hard time. Yes, we had a hard time. And exactly. some fool in the police department said, well, what about liability? I said, what are you, out of your mind? Yeah. They said to me, well, what if some Ukrainian gets injured because the vest didn't work? I said, you've got to be crazy. I said, this is a combat zone. You're worried about injuries? We're giving them donated vests. Whatever happened with that? Oh, it, it was so sad there, Ed. They had Ukrainian women, because we don't see men when we go there. We see mostly majority women. But in the early days, they had women sewing metal into fabrics to protect their families because the buildings would get hit by shrap metal and it wasn't we weren't supplying them to the soldiers we were supplying them to the civilians because they had nothing they were even trying to escape but the first set of vests was stolen they were being stored in lower manhattan and they got stolen which was amazing oh i remember that yes yeah just amazing that somebody's going to steal vests that are going to save lives did you ever get the vests from the police department no, not that I'm aware of. We never got them to bring ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we brought some uh, vests that, uh, I think we brought a handful of brand new vests that were donated by a company, but that's all we were able to bring in. And Hungary was very careful with what they would allow to cross the border because they didn't want to aggravate Russia as well. So things were scrutinized very uh, well. But when we do bring stuff in, we everything we bring in comes to the Order of Malta, which is an amazing organization. They don't charge anything. We have We send stuff directly to Malta whether it's industrial heaters, hundreds and hundreds of generators and small uh, heaters for homes, clothing, medicine, all goes to Malta. They bring it across the border for us, and the governor does press conferences in the Ushirad section of western uh, Ukraine to be able to uh, pass all this stuff out and let the government take care of it from there. On another topic, what are your thoughts about uh, New York State as it is today, uh, opposed to as it was under Governor Pataki? Ed, it's like night and day. It really is. Uh, under Governor Pataki, we didn't have Democrats and, and Republicans and independents. He, he was open to everybody. I mean, in fact, that's one of the things Rob Cole did well. I mean, when we were out in the field, no matter who approached us, we didn't care what voting block they were in. If they had a problem, we made sure it got taken care of. We had people in different areas of the state that went out and took care of stuff for everybody. I mean, the police departments were top-notch. Uh, the recruiting was amazing. But what we're looking at today, we've even just, I just had a conversation with former Superintendent Jim McMahon over the changes we've had to make in recruiting. I mean, we were strict. You couldn't have tattoos. I mean, you, you had, couldn't have been involved in marijuana. You couldn't, you can't even ask these questions anymore. You can't. I mean, we had all kinds of age restrictions and, you know, but now it's all gone to bust. It's just crazy. I remember what happened to Miami PD years and years ago when they lowered their standards. I'm talking back in the 80s and 90s, and they had a huge problem. But, I mean, who wants to be a policeman today with what's going on? That's the scary thing. We have to get police back to being respected and people back to wanting to deal with police. I mean, I, in my opinion, the world's upside down all of a sudden. I just, I just don't get it. You know, maybe I'm old-fashioned, but... You know, it's scary. Yeah, we agree with you. Yeah. Colonel, what are your thoughts on bringing back? How do we bring back New York? I think the voters have to wake up and start voting for the people that are human beings, that want, they want a, to, to respect the Constitution, they want to bring pride back and patriotism. I mean, it's scary now to, to fly an American flag in front of your own house. That's how crazy it is. It really is. I mean, and people are so hung up on Biden. They're hung up on on Trump, they're hung up on on keeping, you know, the world in turmoil. You know, it we gotta find something to bring it together, whether it's religion or, you know, better schools or something. But it's scary. I worry for my grandchildren. I mean I've got 
uh, seven grandchildren, and you wor- I worry about them. They're ages 19 down to age four. And I'm not going to be around that much longer. Who knows? My dad died at 72, so I got two years to go before I'm the same age as him. But, you know, it's scary. It really is. We just need to come together as an American people and have pride in this country. Right. That's the scary part. Well, I think this was a terrific interview, and we're very proud of you. And for someone with the health problems that you have, you look great. I wish the audience well, could see how good you look. I, I, I feel lucky. I really do. I, I take care of myself still. I eat the right way. I can't exercise anymore, which is unfortunate. And I go out for small walks, mm-hmm. but my, my wife makes sure I take my inhaler with me because a few times I've had to stop, call her up, and have her come get me because I'm just out of, out, of, out of breath. I can't continue. But you can't stop. I mean, it, it, as hard as it is, I got turned around in the subway just now. I, mean, I guess it's not the subway. I got off the train, went down a bunch of steps, and wound up walking south instead of north and had to ask a bunch of people. So I was winded coming here, and again, I left my inhaler in her pocketbook. You know, I got to stop doing that. I keep it in my pocket. So, so Colonel, actually, last week, we just buried a friend of mine, a colleague of mine, Retired Detective Kurt Jones. He was a community affairs detective in the Midtown North Precinct. He died from cancers related to 9-11, like many others are doing today, unfortunately. A lot of first responders are dying from cancers related to 9-11 many, many years later. He also actually wore my detective shield. About 10 years ago, when I retired, a couple of years later, Kurt Jones was promoted to detective third grade and he received my detective shield not that he asked to wear my detective shield or not that i said please wear my detective shield just luck of the draw he happened to get my detective shield and actually with the police department i was the first one to wear that shield because it was a new batch of detective shields issued when i was promoted so actually he was the second detective to wear that shield 5088 i'd like to dedicate this episode of cop talk to retired detective kurt jones may he rest in peace Colonel, it was a pleasure having you today. Gentlemen, it's on a the pleasure show. being with you Thank both. Thank you so much. And I'm uh, glad to see uh, the boys out here in the. Great. In the, they're, they're great guys. Yes. Murray and yep, and really we'll be again all together later for uh, the Pataki. Yes. We event. look forward to seeing you guys tonight. Absolutely. At the Union League Club. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cop Talk. You can follow us on Twitter at Cop Talk WABC. That's at Cop Talk WABC. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. Until then, stay safe, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority. PriorityGoldGuide.com